that was always, you know, hiding things in plain sight was always the, the best way to do it. So uh, on the, we pulled up to next, pulled off on the side of the road in a bar ditch on this main road, main drag right through town. And right on the other side of the fence next to the bar ditch, there was a, they used a box spring mattress, laid a box spring mattress down with all of the material burned off of it and planted a plant right in the center of the box spring and trained it like a scrog. So the plant just grew flat inside the box spring mattress, like a big scrog okay. uh, laying flat on the ground. Hmm. So to harvest it, we went over and just lifted up one end of the box mattress, took a pair of loppers and cut the stalk off under the mattress, picked the whole mattress up and laid it in the back of the truck and drove off. So there's a, a, a size <laughs> box spring mattress, just stuffed full of gnarly buds in the back of this truck. Nice. We drove right through the nice. middle of the day, right through town, back out to the garage. Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Right. I'm here with Heston Alcorn, owner operator of Floral Farms. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Now, I know you got a lot going on and you got some pretty big followers and I know that they want to know what's going on. Can you uh, explain to the listeners kind of where you started, what you do, uh, and kind of tell everybody where you're at right now? Absolutely. I'd, I'd be glad to. I, uh, you know, from Northeast Oklahoma, small town called Tahlequah and, uh, you know, mid to late nineties, uh, we started experimenting with growing, uh, outdoors. It was, you know, still prohibition days in Oklahoma back then. So, uh, that's kind of where I cut my teeth originally was, uh, gorilla growing in the Illinois river bottom back in Northeast Oklahoma, uh, moved nice. to, uh, Alaska after high school. And that was kind of the first introduction to, um, indoor controlled environment. And I, you know, we had a, a medical grow in a basement and it was just, I was so fascinated to be able to go down and interact with a plant every day uh, as much as I wanted to going from, from, you know, you plant a seed in, in uh, the first of June and go back in October and maybe, or maybe not it's there. So that was like such an amazing transition to the legal medical protection where you could, you know, these people that had been doing it for, for themselves, for the right reasons uh, and, and, and looking over their shoulder constantly, it was a nice step in the right direction. And then, you know, we, uh, grew medically in, in Alaska and Rhode Island and originally had moved from Rhode Island to Oregon to uh, pursue an OLCC uh, recreational production license. So uh, moved our, our family, my wife and I, uh, my sister, her husband, and my brother, we all moved up here to do a you know family bootstrap style uh, farm. And we didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. have a lot of uh, cash to invest up front. We wanted to do a bootstrap and kind of build up as we went. We got our license filed uh, just before the deadline um, and uh, the moratorium on new licenses by the OLCC. So we got our, we got our license in um, and then it got to the point, you know, uh, almost two years after 
our license applications was accepted, we still hadn't uh, been assigned an, an OLCC investigator, hadn't heard anything about inspection dates. And at that point, they wanted you to have the facility built out and ready for inspection. And we, you know, like being a family, small startup business, we couldn't afford to sink half a million dollars into a facility, not knowing whether or not we would ever be able to make money on that facility. So, you know, uh, I'm sure, you know, I know for a fact, I'm not alone in, in that situation. And mm. Uh, the OLCC rules and regulations are changing. You know, we just the, just passed the law for which is basically going to shut a bunch of like no-till organic farms down with the uh, with the new microbial testing uh, laws. So it's you know going from you know 25 years ago illegally outdoor with no control over the plant, just the the crazy transition we've had now to like the overregulation and we have limitless investors from out of country owning these mega farms. And it's like, how did, how did this happen? You know, how, how did we let this happen to ourselves? And, you know, everyone was so happy just to have that tiny little bit of freedom to the medical and then like, you know, give an inch and take a mile situation. And that's kind of where I am now. I, I've, you know, given up on the idea of having a big farm and, and making a lot of money growing weed, you know, that kind of that ship has sailed for me and for a lot of people, unfortunately. So now I'm focusing back on, uh, medical small i've got a 12 by 12 flower room so small canopy um focusing on you know the plant health soil health uh really uh, immerse myself in soil science and trying to really uh comprehend the complexities that go into a living soil environment and through uh, you know i guess we talked about before we went on you know there's you've seen a lot of people have come and gone in the last few years that were excited to, you know, come into a new industry that was promising, uh, you know, people saw dollar signs and rushed in and uh, a lot of mistakes that, you know, people have never, never grown, never grown quantity, um, never grown any kind of scale, uh, thinking that they could just come in and throw a seed in the dirt and make a million dollars. So those people have come and gone and will continue to come and go. And, you know, people like myself and there's the, you know, the, the legacy people that have a passion for the plant, and then the benefits that come along with pursuing that passion are, are, are icing on the cake for us. So uh, I, I was never growing for profit, you know, solely for profit. I was growing and hoping right. to be able to find a way to turn my passion into some sort of revenue stream, like a lot of people I think do. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, you know just like you said, I just kept plugging away and uh, mm. on Instagram, you know, a few years ago. And I felt like I had this message that I wanted to share. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of people, you know, be honest, there's a lot of like, it, be real honest, there's a lot of like really amazing, talented growers out there that are pouring their heart into their whatever platform they're trying to reach people on. And, you know, they're looked over and not because of lack of talent, lack of passion, lack of skills. It's just, man, you know, the, the quantity of, of us out there trying, you know, they're all like raising our hands saying, pick me. Uh, it's, 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 you get lost in the crowd. And, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, a couple of years ago, I won the Autoflower Cup up in Washington mm -hmm. state. And, you know, that that's really what kind of started the snowball rolling. I think I went, you know, from like four or 500 followers and, you know, overnight, you know, within, well, overnight, within two days, three days, I jumped up to like 4,000 and, uh, you know, I was kind of plugging along a little bit of motivation and <clears throat> excuse me, you know, plugging along and then, you know, it's kind of dragging along and then randomly, uh, uh, it was the harvest video for the Oregon Growers Cup last year. When I was taking down the Jiffy nice. Sherb. Uh, my wife was gone, so I had my son running my phone filming me taking down the plant. 
And he ended up filming it in like slow motion. And I was like, so aggravated with him. I was like, dude, I didn't ask for any creativity. Just like, so I was like, so aggro and threw a fit about it. And then I posted the, that video and then it got like, you know, like almost 2 million plays and, you know, 85,000 likes on, and on the reels and it just took off for whatever reason, just the algorithm hit and it took off. And I like went from 4,000 to like within a week to like 25,000 followers um and then Jeez, it's just been kind of wow. steadily progressing since then and it'll like you know and and so i feel guilty because i'm not necessarily that much better more special more elite than than everyone else out mm-hmm. there that's trying to do it i'm lucky enough like whatever hit the algorithms but i want to take advantage of my <laughs> you know notoriety what yeah. little instagram notoriety it is so no this i you know mm-hmm. a few weeks ago i went through and purged my instagram because they've been so uh, coming down on people shutting down accounts with any kind of flower, you know, pictures. So I deleted yeah. like 300 posts, like purged my account with the big followers and kind of taken an approach that a few other uh, of the big growers that I follow are, you know, they make this basically, you make your little sacrificial account that you tag and, and, and try to point people to. So that's why I made my, my additional floral farm account that I post all the flower pictures on and, you know, like tease it on my other mm-hmm. side and I'm going to, you know, use my, my following to like, that's going to be the educational side of things and keep it all above boards mm-hmm. people where I don't have to worry about getting that account snatched and uh, losing my platform, which has, mm. which has turned, yeah, it's really, it's really worked out because I, you know, finally the plugging away, it looks like it's finally paying off. I had uh, just announced here last week that I'm uh, partnered up with uh, the amazing Dr. Zymes. Uh, I'm sure you're mm. all familiar with the, the great IPM oh, product yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. they had uh, reached out and looking for someone that kind of uh, paralleled their values and their mission statement with sustainability and organic production. And with the emerging home growers uh, market and just the amount of new home growers uh, with every state that comes medical, you know, the, there's so many new growers every month. There's more and more growers. And it's it, it'd be, it's nice to have somewhere that they can turn to see from the beginning, uh, learn how to do it, what, what I consider the correct way and obviously you know there's a thousand different ways to get to the end to get to harvest and for me i've over the years developed a particular way of doing everything in this you know every step have i have a particular way and process to approach it mm-hmm. because i've seen that by following that process in the entirety uh, you, you have you have a consistent high quality result every time mm-hmm. predictable outcomes and predictable uh, you know, environment in which that you, you, you know, a lot of people are afraid to go from the synthetics because of the immediate, you know, immediate control that you have over mm-hmm. the plant. And, you know, well, what if I have a problem in organics? It's going to take two weeks before we, yeah, it, it is. And that's like, it's always <laughs> anticipatory, you know, thinking down the road. Uh, and that's the big thing with IPM also, instead of a reactionary process mm-hmm. program, you have something where you anticipate problems and you're always, you know, it's like a forecast, two week forecast. So, so for, for the, the nutrient cycling in the bed and also the environment in which the plant is growing, you're always anticipating changes, potential problems and staying ahead of that with, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, an environment of competitive exclusion, basically. So not trying to mm-hmm. completely annihilate every organism in the room. I'm not interested in that. I'm, you know, living soil. So I want a robust, diverse yeah. life in, in, in the, in the, in the room and soil. So you don't want to start pumping these poisons in to kill 
a particular pest mm-hmm. because that's going to have adverse effects on the environment in general. So instead of that, you, you introduce right. predators that will eliminate that pest and then cater to them and make sure they have an environment where they can thrive. So, you know, you're, you're, you're encouraging the, the beneficial organisms instead of attacking the, the potential problem. So that's like, that's how I approach the soil health and plant health in general is, you know, create that competitive exclusion where you're setting the things that you want to succeed up for success and making it more difficult mm-hmm. for any kind of pathogen or pest to get a foothold in the first place. So that's kind of, I would imagine that was your intention from the beginning, wasn't it? Like even when you're gorilla growing, it sounds like your intentions were, were fairly pure in, in wanting to develop and have some sort of process or as you, as we all say now, living soil, whatever, no till. Yeah, no, and there's like all the the, the nomenclature, uh, you know, coming up and the terms for all of these things are, uh, you know, I don't want to say coming full full circle, full cycle, but the bro science or my dad said and the the way they grew and the way they told me there's, you know, it's like 50-50 whether that was just something that had been done for habit because that's the way someone was taught. And then you're seeing seeing a lot of things like super cropping. Well, there's, you know, some uh, actual you know, quantifiable value to breaking the stems, you know, the xylem and phloem increase mm-hmm. diameter above that scarring tissue. So that is, you know, now uh, it's called super cropping. And, you know, my, my dad, whenever he, he was, you know, telling me what they would do is they would wait until a plant was three or four feet tall and walk up and step on it in the middle of it and break it over flat. So they're doing okay. basically an outdoor scrog, you know, you're, they're taking the canopy and training it horizontally they're uh, super cropping it in the meristem. So they're creating that big knuckle. So that's like, mm-hmm. you think about it, like how ridiculous that is. Like thinking about walking out into the <laughs> uh, the field and stepping on stomping these plants down flat. You're like, well, okay, yeah. well, you know, now come full circle. It's like, okay, well there is some, you know, quantifiable benefits to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're doing it for multiple, you know, keep it low and out of sight. And there's a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I'll never forget one of the first, one of the first harvests I was allowed to come with on, you know, the kind of the initiation harvest. I was about 16, I think it was October. And every, uh, every October we, uh, there was three or four families up in the river bottom in this, in the area. And they would all, we would all go take a family trip over to, uh, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, you know, the kids, we'd mm-hmm. all go to this indoor water park, the moms and kids. Well, the dads were all back harvesting and hanging, hanging mm-hmm. stuff in our shop, in our garage to dry for that week. So we, the kids, uh, we're all out of town for harvest week. So I, this is the first time I was allowed to kind of stay back and see. And the mm. first, the, the first plant we picked up, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that was always, you know, hiding things in plain sight was always the, the best way to do it. So uh, on the, we pulled up to next, pull off on the side of the road in a bar ditch on this main road, main drag right through town. And right on the other side of the fence next to the bar ditch, there was a, they used a box spring mattress, laid a box spring mattress down with all of the material burned off of it and planted a plant right in the center of the box spring and trained like a scrog. So the plant just grew flat inside the box spring mattress, like a big scrog okay. uh, laying flat on the ground. Hmm. So to harvest it, we went over and just lifted up one end of the box mattress, took a pair of loppers and cut the stalk off under the mattress, picked the whole mattress up, and laid it in the back of the truck and drove off. So there's a, a, a size <laughs> box spring mattress, just stuffed full of gnarly buds in the back of this truck. Nice. We drove right through the nice. middle of the day, right through town, back out to the garage. And I, you know, right out in the middle of everything. You had to have been like, stanking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But it didn't just, you know, you know, so that's like, they were doing it to 
stay out of sight, stay hidden and uh, to train the plant down flat. And now that's like what half, you know, there's a lot of us out there preaching that scrog. It's like to, to maximize the indoor surface area for light use and, and space is like you're training art horizontally. I do it myself. Yeah. So it's just funny to think about with yeah. them unknowingly doing all these weird things for what they, you know, practicality for them. It's actually like seeing it now in all these gardens. Well, it's kind of funny. Yeah. We kind of honed it into like a, a skill now instead of just, you know, it's a little more just a method. Yeah. Yeah. A little more artsy that. about it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I do the same thing. Last year, I ended up, you know, I, I, I can, I have a six foot fence. Okay. And so when I grow my outdoor, I don't like to go over the six foot because, you know, security. Uh, and so, especially where I'm at. So uh, I had the scrog and uh, man, I ended up probably doubling my harvest. That's awesome. Uh, just from simply, I mean, but it was a wide, it was like an eight foot canopy yeah. spread out. It's just, it was funny looking anyway. Um, but yeah, it really, really increased my, uh, my total, my total volume on that one. I did want to talk to you about autos though, because you were an auto winner, 20, what, 21, 2021. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I have a fascination with autos now I've spent 20 plus years growing photos, but I really feel like a newbie when it comes to the autos. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that I've worked with them for a little bit before. I don't think they're the best genetics, but, um, I've got my hand on some good genetics now and I'm, I'm interested in your input on autos, what you do with them. How did you do so well with them? And what's your, what's your input on it? Yeah. So I think the, the first auto I grew was a low rider, uh, like Oh nine, maybe 2009. Uh, and it was, you know, not, not even an ounce. It was a very small, uh, plant. It didn't turn out much. So I, that kind of really turned me off the auto flowers. Like you said, there, that was early on, um, mm. and the genetics were not worked very well, uh, very unreliable, unstable genetics. Um, so, you know, fast forward to a few years ago, I had actually, uh, ordered a photo, uh, photo period seeds and got that pack of autos as a freebie. And so, you know, yeah, just throw it in, see what it does. And it actually turned out really well. I, it, uh, I ran under 18 hours of light under a 315 watt ceramic metal halide. And so that was basically, you know, it was the first auto I had grown since 09. And it was the first cup I had ever entered. So I kind of fucking stumbled in and won it. It was like, you know, I, I there's a lot of great flower and, uh, you know, I don't, uh, wasn't, you know, entering it. I, I entered it to get my, to enter into the auto flower community because I was looking for a way in. It was like this new emerging, like you said, been growing photos for so long. It was kind of just this neat new thing. And the, the plant, man, it turned out great. It was probably, I think that mm. that particular plant was probably six ounces or so uh dry weight oh wow i mean so, that's huge for so auto, right? yeah so definitely not bad and i don't know this check back um I'll, I'll put it back up on my new i had to purge it unfortunately uh but the last grow i had grown uh, one into the four by eight with auto flowers and uh, 18 hour light and then i had photos on the other end so i, f I ended up finishing them under 12 hours of light and uh they, they actually did really well. So giant plants, the methane from no automatics, it was like an eight ounce plant, I think. And, uh, you know, half a pound in a, in a bed. And you see some of the guys doing hydro that are getting one pound plants and they're, but they're, they're pushing nutrients and really, and really, uh, and really force feeding the plants a lot, but they can get really big, you know? So my, my view on autos now is it's like, it's a tool. It's a tool in the, in the toolbox. So, okay. I grow primarily from seed. I grow a lot of photo period. So I start my autos in two gallon bags at the same time I start my photo periods. 
And like, by the time I'm done vegging my photos, the autos are almost ready to, to harvest, you know? So you, you're, you're able to grow those yeah. under 18 hours of light for a couple of months while you're uh, vegging out your seedlings. And then that's what I think that interesting. Yeah. So I think, and I think that's, that's the way I'm going to approach growing the autos from now on is I think that you can grow them under 24 hour light uh, for the entire life cycle. No problem. They'll finish under 24 hours, but I think it's through stretch under 24 hours, at least 20 hours of light it is something that is a big limiting factor on size. <clears throat> so 18 hours of light, they'll stay smaller than they could be 24 hours of light through stretch. I think that's going to be the best production for the flower. And I'm still, I'm still has, there's a lot of people transplant, transplanting auto, starting them in uh, you know, root riot or um, starting them in a, in a solo cup even and, and transplanting them. I don't transplant. I start in the final container. I don't do high stress training. Don't, don't top. Uh, if anything, after stretch is finished, I'll, I'll clean up the underside of it a little bit. But I think that until you have, you know, 10 autoflower harvests under your belt, you should, you should leave them alone because there is such a small window of opportunity for, for training because they do, they flower independently of, 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 of eight mm-hmm. or of light cycle. I'm sorry. So they're, they're on a timer. As soon as the, the seed cracks, it's on a timer. And it's either, if you have it in a very tall pot, it'll be on a day uh, around 21 days, 21 to 31 days, is the average starting time for flower for an auto. But it also is mm-hmm. a, a, a function of the taproot. Whenever the, you know, the, these plants evolve in the Ural mountains and very shallow rocky soil. So the taproot, when it hits bedrock, it's going to start to flower because it knows it's in a, it's in a very shallow soil, uh, very shallow topsoil in the mountains somewhere. So in a shorter mm-hmm. container, it'll start to flower quickly. Whenever the taproot hits the bottom of that two gallon bag, it'll start to flower. Um, so there's a few things you can do to extend the veg time. Tall, taller, more narrow containers will get a bigger, a longer veg time. Um, and I, I think it's, hmm. it's super important to give them that extended light period especially through stretch. I think once the stretch is done and a uh, flower set's done, it starts to bulk up. I, honestly, I hadn't, hadn't done enough to say definitively, but I think that from my observations so far, a 12 hour light cycle after that flower set is not going to take away from the yield as much as it would switch into an 18 hour okay. cycle uh, early on in veg. So uh, I, I like them. I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I think there's definitely a place for them, especially so, uh, in, in an outdoor, it would have been a perfect, perfect situation for us to use at our farm. Say, you know, we had uh, 30 acres and instead of having to put a bunch of hoop houses out and pull tarp, we could just field plant autoflowers and get two harvests mm-hmm. with no minimal, you know, we wouldn't have to feed them at all because they'd be fine in the field, minimal water, mm-hmm. minimal inputs, minimal IPM because their life so short, such a short lifespan. Mm-hmm. So you're giving these given farmers an opportunity to get, you know, you'd say, say two or possibly three harvests, just outdoor field planted autos, as opposed to one or two light depth harvests. And the yield may not be as much as the photo period light depth pulls, hmm. but if you're doing it with zero overhead, zero labor costs, you know, it, it's, it starts to really make sense for, for some large scale outdoor hmm. production. And, you know, um, they're smaller, easier to handle. So there's definitely, there's definitely a market for them. There's definitely a, a use for them. Will I ever switch over to only growing autoflowers? I don't believe so. 
you know, I, 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 the way I'm doing it now, I think I have a great system where I start the photos and auto seeds at the same time. And then I'm getting, you know, fresh mm-hmm. flower to smoke or fresh frozen at the end of veg, basically for, for, for no additional, uh, no additional effort or time. So it, it just makes sense. Are you seeing good, are you seeing good quality out of the autos that you're doing? Obviously you are, you're a winner, oh, yeah. but I mean like, oh, yeah. so are you there are, seeing at least comparable to photos now? Or? Yeah. Yeah. So this, the, the harvest weight I think is the biggest hot button topic now It's like, that's the, that's the reason people okay. are like, oh, it just doesn't yield enough. And like I said, if you go to a couple of mm-hmm. guys that are growing in, in hydroponics or the uh, uh, deep water culture, they're getting massive plants and they're harvesting like a pound plant in okay. 73 days from soil. So it's po- from, from seed sprout. So it's possible to do. Uh, the quality I think is there. So like uh, people like uh, Gnome Automatics, uh, Daz Night Owl, Mephisto, those are like, I have a hard time believing that you would be able to tell those apart if you do like a joint joint side by side can you pick the auto flower or the photo period apart you know i think we're getting to the point now with with the breeders that are doing the work and releasing the f2s and f3s f4s f5s they're there you know but as many you know as many a handful of those that are putting those worked lines out there's a hundred more that are just doing f1 cross uh they're you know getting a pack of regular auto flower seeds and then two months later, they're a breeder selling, you know, 10 packs and crosses. So <laughs> the, it's you know, such a risky yeah. investment. So I think, yeah, do, do due diligence, look into the breeder, make sure they've been around for more. And that's, and I hate to say that too, because there are people that have been in business for three years that are putting some amazing products out there, but those are few and far between, you know, I would, yeah. I hate to say don't, don't buy from a breeder that hasn't been around for longer than five years, but that's a pretty decent rule of thumb. Unfortunately, it takes, it takes years to stabilize a line. You know, it's, you can't rush the flower. It takes, you know, 10 weeks, 11 weeks to flower sometimes. And you got to do that four or five times. So you, you can't, you can't rush it. And uh, there's only a few, a few people out there that are doing it right. And man, the, the quality is there. It really speaks for themselves. You know, you can see the effort and, and, time that they put into those lines yeah gets back to the genetics though i guess oh yeah um let's talk about yeah let's talk about your methods like your i i guess you would call yourself what no-till is, is how you uh, describe yourself yeah. living soil no-till yeah yeah no-till uh natural farming i guess the the korean natural farming modern natural farming okay damn there's a lot of those mm-hmm. practices that i pick and choose certain pieces that fit my overall uh, plan. So <clears throat> I have been, I find it interesting that real quick that you, uh, that you do it indoors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know that sounds like probably you're like, well, yeah, so, but I mean, like there's a lot of people that can't do this kind of work indoors. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it, it is like people, you know, if there's a, a group of people, I say no till and they're like, dude, you're in a bed indoors. You're not a no-till farmer. You know, it's like, okay, great. I'll give you that. You know, I, I'll give you that. I'm, I'm in a bed and it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, disturbing the soil surface. It's, it, it's what's, like I said, the terminology and the new, the new name. So yeah, I, uh, I'm whatever that is, is I'm a no-till <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. indoor farmer gardener. So, but yeah, so I, you know, the, the goal <laughs> is to, to, uh, to try to recreate that, you know, hundred year old, soil under the forest duff out there that hasn't been disturbed 
It's like you how mm-hmm. the biodiversity that's there that carries out all of these functions that we're trying to synthetically recreate. Uh, I went, you know, started growing. I've, I've used tons of, of different nutrient lines. I started to try to, uh, you know, I started when I was still using bottles in bags and bottle feeding, I started trying to be more organic and like in the quality of the product from those organic products. And then gradually just evolved. And the more I read, uh, bring, you know, get, uh, reading Lowenfell stuff and really seeing the, the interactions of the microbiology in the soil and how we can have these organisms carry out all of the processes that we're trying to replicate and they do it more efficiently. Uh, and there's no, you know, labor cost on our end. So if we can build an environment to try to mimic this outdoor setting and, you know, constantly introducing uh, robust, diverse microbial, microbial populations through um, a Jadam micro, uh, microbial solution. So you, you, you know, basically you're harvesting local microbes, uh, increasing their population and then soil drenching those into the bed. Um, you know, that and then, trying to obviously you know you can't recreate the sun and that's been my latest my latest pursuit is you know i've got all these other processes pretty pretty well locked in to my my comfort level and i've been uh you know grew with thousand watt hps bulbs forever and then just uh converting over to leds and that's like that's a whole nother realm of information to try to dive into you know just the the technology involved in that and uh, it was overwhelming for a couple of years and i <clears throat> ran through a bunch of brands and uh, finally got hooked up with this this canadian company grandmaster level leds and uh, uh thomas is the the pretty confident in his work and very knowledgeable and they've got a great product that seems to be uh, one of the best if not the best out there right now you know he's, he's crushing it uh, it's a great lamp so that was like one more headache out of the way like okay got the light solved so now back to the soil so it was, it was nice to, to lock the lighting down for sure um but but yeah i you've been doing that for a couple of years the leds you said two yeah so the first led i got i got uh, the chilled Growcraft x6 uh i won that okay. at the cup with the auto flower cup i won that and that was that was my first uh into the leds i had been on the fence about you know i wanted one they were a little pricey I had all, tons of ballast and, and lamps. It's a thousand watt stuff. So I was waiting for that to die off and uh, replace it. And it kind of uh, started out with a great lamp that the chilled was, it was a nice, it was a nice lamp. Um, so I, I got that. I uh, had a spider farmer. Uh, wasn't super impressed with the spectrum plant. Just kind of, uh, meh, you know, plants grew mm-hmm. under it. Okay. But it wasn't like life-changing spectrum. You know, I feel like, I feel like the right. first time I saw a 315 watt, ceramic metal halide it was the phillips uh i hortolux uh i blue i was just like mm-hmm. holy shit that's the that's the, they did it. it was like that's sunlight right there there's like the that beautiful spectrum and i and i felt like i never saw that on any leds and like the this grandmaster level the vulcan and, and the long leg boards are like that pop in that nice white like oh shit that's yeah it looks better you know obviously the, the blur right. the blurple lights there for a while were like <laughs> uh, you know just give me a headache thinking about those but yeah so yeah the lights yeah. The, the lights have certainly come a long way the the, the autoflower genetics have come to, you know leaps and bounds progressed so it's cool to see all this technology advancing and then that's where i like and then i keep like devolving back to primitive man out there like composting and 
using putrefaction to make your inputs. And I was like, it's, you know, it's technically, it's, it's nice in one direction, but it's also, it's like, I think that once people do that, and I think a, a huge draw of it for me was to, it's like hands-on producing your own inputs. Like your, your, your hands are dirty, you're in the soil, you're involved and connected to your plant in a way I don't think is possible dumping bottles into a 50 gallon drum and flipping a switch to mix and pH it for you and irrigates for you. And, you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. so disconnected from your plant and the garden. Um, and so trying to find a balance between, you know, technology, automation, traditional, uh, sustainable production and sustainable practices. So I do, I like, I did, uh, have the blue mat, <clears throat> Uh, the carrots with the drippers. I did that in mm-hmm. bed and it's, it was a, a non electrical, you know, you used uh, osmotic pressure to control this valve and turn the drippers on and off as depending on the soil moisture. I loved it. It, it. I was like hesitant to do the automated water. It, it took a lot of pressure off. It was like, uh, I started having a little uh, pH fluctuation because of inconsistent watering practices. I was going to hurry having dry pockets in some of the areas of the soil and having pH fluctuations because of that and the wow. automation and the, the eco wet wireless moisture meters, you know, I went from watering every three days to how much I thought and eyeballing it to now having this precise observation and control mechanism where I can really dial it in, hmm. but I'm still involved in it, you know, so I wouldn't want to, I don't want to totally eliminate myself from that process, but it's also nice to have, that information and control and making sure that I'm not getting those dry pockets anymore. That was, that was huge, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, so, yeah, that is huge. And you're still using that, right? Yeah. So I, I had this cycle. Uh, there's a guy in back in the Midwest doing the, uh, trying to dry back light. He called it for, uh, for living soil. So, you know, we don't want to let our uh, soil moisture level get dropped too low and you start having uh, microbial population die offs whenever you get the uh, the soil media dries out too much. So the whole goal of mm-hmm. drybacks in that crop steering uh, formulation that, that it's a big, you know, that's the commercial buzzword here this last few months, crop steering, you have drive your plants, drive your plants. Uh, so I wanted to kind of see if I could achieve some of those benefits with uh, shorter nodal uh, spacing and a little tighter flower development with some of the drybacks. So I pulled the blue mat uh, twice. I pulled it this after stretch was over for uh, two weeks, the, the, the dryback light. And then again, here at the end of uh, the last two weeks. So the blue mat's not in right now. I, I won't be doing this again. I'm not, I don't think that there's reason, you know, the, a cannabis plant is, is a, an, an intelligent being in the sense that, you know, through exudates, it controls the bacterial and fungal populations in the root zone. So it is actively controlling the environment of the soil around it. And I feel like we don't need to take its water supply away and, and threaten it to, you know, to in, increase certain hormonal responses to get that flower production. I, I've i been dabbling with mm-hmm. sprouted seed tea uh, and sprouted seed ferments for kind of some hormonal steering. And I think the benefits of the sprouted seed teas, you're going to be able to get some hormone manipulation uh, with those without the the uh, potential negative effects of, of drying your living soil out. So I, I, I wanted to try it out and just, you know, it was a new process, new kind of approach to the living soil. But I think that it's unnecessary in a living soil bed. 
because like, like I said, there's so much, <clears throat> there's so many processes actively happening because of the plant. And you're going to come in and, and say, I know better than you stop doing what you're doing naturally and, mm-hmm. you know, and do this instead. I see. So, and that's my, that's my whole goal. And that so whole this- pro- that's the whole point of, of having that living soil system is to allow the plant to express itself naturally. And I think that you, the plant, you get much better uh, expressions and, you know, across the board, uh, allowing it to do its own, its own thing. And I get, you know, I get a fade just like anybody running Athena and doing a two week flush. It's like the, the plant is on a life cycle. It's natural senescence. It's going to fade beautifully. And I'm not flushing my 430 gallons of living soil by any means, you know? So trying to communicate those ideas, some people are, are you know, hesitant or, or, uh, yeah. Now with that sprouted tea, um, sprouted seed tea, uh, something I've been interested in as well, but you're saying that you don't really feel like you need that in the living soil. Um, I'm assuming, especially outdoors. Oh no, not the um, sprouted. Is that what you're saying? No, not the sprouted seed tea. I was, okay. no, for, it's for the, for dry backs. So like the dry backs. Okay. So like My soilless, bad. Yeah, okay. So like soilless media growers and you know, the dry back is to initiate a stress response and create hormone spikes to increase things like, uh, you know, uh, cell elongations, uh, uh, starch conversion. But, you know, so there's, there's like, you're, you're, you're searching for these specific hormonal spikes. So with sprouted CT, we can take them and, and capture those hormones and apply those via a soil drench without having to, you know, artificially create those stressors for the plant. So I think that that is, that's the approach that I'm Got taking. It. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Well, uh, that's good to hear then. I, I'm sorry I misunderstood oh, no that, but... Uh, yeah, something I've been interested in. So, and you're using, what was it? Barley? Yeah. Using a few like, uh, yeah, barley, uh, corn, lentils, mung beans, the different ones. Yeah. So barley is the one I did a, a post on yesterday and, you know, you, you, you know, growth hormones, uh, enzymes, vitamins, there's a big broad spectrum of beneficials for each, for each seed, but in particular barley, like, uh, I was speaking on, the chitinase is one of the enzymes that you find in the, in the barley sprouted CT. And it's, uh, it's great for, for off season. So I'll be doing that here next week or a week and a half or so after I get all the plants out of the bed, I'll be to do a big soil drench of that. And, and that's kind of the, what I was trying to shine light on is in, in that living soil, it's like, there's always something to do because there's not a plant in there that you're not feeding a plant today, every day. It's like thinking ahead. So like you, after harvest immediately, I'll start to work on the bed thinking a month down the road for planting, you know, so I get that soil drench of the barley sprouted CT, uh, the enzyme population bumps up the, the helps aids in root digestion. And then since it's, you know, going on the fifth cycle now, uh, a monocrop in the same plot starts, uh, has a tendency to develop pathogens, soil pathogens, fungal pathogens specifically, and uh, chitinase is uh, great to suppress fungal pathogens, uh, especially fusarium, which we we worry about quite a bit here in, in cannabis. So that's just like uh, one application. You can use the barley on live plants. You can do a, uh, <clears throat> foliar sprays during veg. You can continue using it up through early flowers, a soil drench. Um, and yeah, so just, just trying to find, and, and that's the thing, it's like, all the synthetic fertilizers, synthetic rooting hormones, synthetic PGRs out there. It's like, well, where did they synthesize these things from? Synthetic is the means it was, it was derived from a natural organic compound. So let's take a step back 
mm-hmm. and see what we can use that's naturally occurring. What can I go out and harvest in my backyard or grow in my backyard that is the natural agent that they synthesize from? So the same thing, like, you know, all of the, uh, the rooting hormones, I got into a little bit of a headbutting mm-hmm. contest with a guy who's like a really big uh, rooting hormone. I like, so it's just, you're using synthetic rooting hormones <clears throat> that you can, you know, you take and scuff the surfaces of a cutting and get the, the, the dermal layer back. And then all those synthetic rooting hormones, that's guess what? The naturally occurring rooting hormones that those are synthesized from are right there in the stem. They're right there in the plant. And they just need to be activated by scraping the stem. So now you have the real rooting hormone and there's no, there's, there's no, nothing else necessary. You know, you put that plant in a cup of water, you, got roots. you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on this. Uh, you know, marketing is, you know, they companies spend so much on marketing, convincing us that we're incapable of growing a plant unless we have all the shit that they're selling us, um, which right, is crazy right. to me. So that's been my major inspiration is like, step back. What can you do? What can you do for yourself? What can you make for yourself? The environmental impact that that's having is huge. You know, the carbon footprint you're taking off is is huge. But on top of that, if you need a selfish reason, just like I feel so accomplished and and proud after making a, a simple ferment, you know, go around in the yard with the kids picking dandelions and blackberry growth tips. And then you're taking and turning that into a, a powerful, uh, growth stimulant and nutrient solution. I, I didn't have to go buy anything. And, uh, and honestly, that's, I started, so I, I started into the ferments and the, the K and F was where I really fell in love with the idea of being able to take all these and harness the, the good from this plant material and, and save it and isolate it and then be able to use it for yourself. So the more I try to be self-sufficient and self-contained and vertically integrated in my own farm, I've been, transitioning to uh, Jadam, which is an offshoot. It's Master Cho who founded the uh, Korean Natural Farming, the School of Thought. Uh, I guess he didn't f- found the process, but he really consolidated into uh, a book and a teaching function anyway. So his son started Jadam to get away from the sugar. And, you know, so I'm in Oregon, Central Oregon coast. There's not much uh, sugar cane grown here. So what can I do to try to eliminate that was the next weak link in my chain. So with Jadam, you're using water and putrefaction and the sugar source is usually, I, I can use potatoes for my sugar source and I can grow potatoes here. Okay. So I can go now, instead of, instead of buying brown sugar that's imported from halfway across the world, I can go out and do uh, collect samples, put it in a bucket of water with uh, starch water from potatoes and soft potatoes and get that same result from the IMO collection um, would get that same result mm-hmm. from an FFJ or an FPJ by a different process. So the same outcome, different process, even less of an, uh, of an impact on the environment from, for myself. You know, the, and granted, if you live somewhere that jaggery or, or sugar is easily available, do it. Why, by all means, that's, that's what you got there. But people that are, you know, living in Toronto mm-hmm. that go to the store and buy four pounds of brown sugar and a bunch of bananas, bananas and apples from the store, and go and make these ferments. It's like, I like the idea, but that's kind of defeating the, the whole core concept of practice, yeah. you know? So a quick question about the, the, the grains and sprouting. Um, can you use other grains? Like, could you use like say rye without having any benefit? Yeah, no, I think any, maybe, maybe any, not. Yeah, no, I think any, any seed 
uh, any fast growing seed is. Yeah. Gonna I have an excess of rice. Yeah. No, I think, I think that would be fine. And you know, there's so little information and so, so little, uh, quantifiable data. So that's my, I just got linked up with a lab up in Portland that they're going to do some analytics on my, uh, sprouted seed ferments because that's a, a lot of the pushback from the natural farming and the sprouted CT and, especially now where there are white papers becoming available on lots of cannabis related issues that were previously not studied, not, not, not a lot of information done because it was illegal. So now we're starting to see these studies being done and people are, or have always questioned, you know, uh, the K and F methodology. And it's like, well, you know, you're, you're using osmotic pressure to harness this, these enzymes and nutrients from this, but like, what's the NPK value? And, and there's, you know, I haven't right. seen one, you know, there's not, there's a few people that have started to like pay for the tests themselves who are trying to maybe have a bottled K and F product or something along those lines, but there hasn't been any reason for people to spend money to provide information to back up these, these claims, you know, it's like K and F farming obviously works. They've been doing it for thousands of years in Korea. That's how they, that's how they, the nutrients that they use to grow their crops. So obviously mm-hmm. it works, you know, so now people are wanting to see like, well, well, how, what is the the process? So I'm trying to, that's my contribution to the you know, tiny little piece of the pie is I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll have some numbers available for actually the, you know, the phytohormones, the enzymatic, the vitamins and mineral content of a barley sprouted CT. So you can see like, yeah, it's not just, you know, traditionally it works or take my word for it. This stuff is good. You know, 30% yield increase. Right. It's like, well, no, I, I'm not going to try to float that boat, you know, but there's, there is quantifiable benefits to a lot of these things. And I think we'll start seeing more, more white papers and studies available that, that, uh, back, back that up and, and solidify those claims. So hopefully here within the next month, how, how did you uh, build that soil that you got inside? I mean, is that a, a year, like years project? Two, is that it, something it just turned two years old in November. So, this, two, so okay. I built it two years ago and I'll probably let it go another, well, d- depending on the summer, I may, I may be remodeling that room. So I may have to come out, but it should be good for about another year and a half before it needs to be replaced if, if it let it go. But yeah, so I used the the base mixed soil from uh, Forest Floor Organics down in Eugene. Okay, and then you know I'll be I'll be doing this is actually one of my first videos I've got to put together for uh, this upcoming series. Mm-hmm. I'll be doing a, a four by four uh, living soil bed, building it from scratch. And, and people want to get hung up on like another like very specific soil type or very specific brand of this or that, and it's like the overall concept of bringing in this diverse group of minerals and elements so that there's biologically active uh, components of your soil working all at all different times and, and, and creating these processes you know, on, on their own and independently of what you're doing. So you, you get all this, all the soil together, all the ingredients in there, the compost stirred up and then what, you know, start pumping microbes into it, um, start planting cover crops on it, get the roots down, get carbon, in, in uh, cycling in the soil and like half of the half of the reason to plant your first cover crop isn't to fix nitrogen or, or to aerate the soil necessarily because it's freshly mixed it should be beautiful uh well aerated fluffy soil and you want the roots 
in their worm food. Uh, you know, you, you get the, uh, all of the bacteria cycling and that's, you know, you really just try to jumpstart it and get as much active biology into that bed as soon as possible to start those cycles. And then you just keep, you keep feeding it. So <clears throat> the, I did, it's an 18 inch deep bed. So I think I filled it 14 inches was my first soil depth. And then I did like okay. lasagna layering on top of that, like uh, cover crop, chop the cover crop down, mm -hmm. compost on top of that, woody mulch after a harvest, repeat that same cycle, <clears throat> plant cover crop, chop it down, compost over the cover crop, woody mulch on top of that. So I've got four layers of that. And then the first layer of woody mulch would have just turned two years old in November. So that layer of woody mulch had been basically a nitrogen sink for two years as the bacteria digested that, that wood. So now that's becoming bio, bio, uh, biologically available to the plant again after two years. So now I'm truly on a, a water only. I had been supplementing nitrogen because of that nitrogen sink in the woody mulch. So now I have a two year time release fertilizer uh, of nitrogen and all mm -hmm. the other macro elements that are tied up in that woody mulch. So between that and uh, I've got the verma composting towers in the center now, which I really, I, I'm loving that. And I, I, I can you talk about those? Yeah, two? I, I highly recommend those if you have uh, space. And even if you're in a smaller bed, I think, you know, you can get like a, a two gallon bucket from, from Ace or Lowe's or whatever. And it would be worth having that in, in your bed because that's like a, put an IV of, of micro, of active yeah. microbiology into your plant bed. So I had got hooked up to do beta testing for uh, Intralite, which is the the IPM light ring. Uh, uses uh, you know UVA and C, I think, to disrupt DNA basically and make it you know disrupt the breeding process for a laundry list of of, of pests and pathogens. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm I love the light, and I think the technology is spot on. But I needed to, it's around. It's called the number five ring. It's uh, around to sit down in a five gallon hydroponic bucket. So I needed something to set the light on is what inspired me to do the, the vermicomposting tower. So I took a five gallon bucket and removed the bottom, you know, five inches or so uh, of the bucket and, and drilled you know, lots of holes around and sunk it down in the center. Yeah, there it is uh, in the center. Somewhere. I want to say that's the one. Yeah, that's, it? That's yeah. It. yeah. So basically, uh, I'll add, I added, uh, 500 worms to each bucket on each end and slowly feed those. And, uh, the, the only, the only thing I would say when you, when you do decide to do this, I think everyone should have one. It's a great idea. And in a bed that's, you know, for, like I said, 430 gallons of soil, uh, five gallons, soil, five gallons of that volume removed for this reason is, is totally acceptable. It's not taking a huge volume gotcha. of soil, but slowly feeding uh the worms figuring out how how much they can eat in say three or four days uh, I, I overfed the first time and started getting a little smell just because they didn't eat it before it started to rot it got a little mm -hmm. funky so i just cut it back you know I see. leafy greens and fruits uh, a little bit at a time every few days let them digest that down real quick but yeah i mean within you know a week of having that in you can see here some of the the roots i'm tearing up yeah, and it's 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 centralized. In the oh, just gorgeous as hell! Oh, it's 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 fantastic, and I think I'll I'll just uh, yeah 
I'll empty that out probably between cycles and, you know, use those fresh castings as I transplant uh, new plants into the bed each time. But it, it's, man, it's working out so great. Um, like I said, you know, the, the worms can come and go into the bucket. It seems like it houses a pretty consistent population. I keep food source there, so they don't, they don't really go very far. But yeah, it, that's, yeah. that's right there. And then you can see all the root material in there that I've torn up. Uh, starting yeah. around. Like the plants yeah, love it, cool. you know. Every time I ro- turn this, turn that uh, compost in there, uh, I'm just ripping up handfuls of roots, which, you know. Yeah, they're loving it. That's why. <laughs> they grow back. It's, 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 that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So no, it turned out really nice. It that is great. Back. And this is, and that's the uh, intro light right there. Yeah, that's it. That's the, that's the top one. of the bucket. Yeah. And they're cool. They run like 60 seconds. Yeah, beautiful beds. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that's like yeah, the beautiful beds. only time I've ever had a clean yellow sticky trap since I put those the intro lights in the beds. <laughs> I mean, you call, call it snake oil cool. all you want, but That's you've never sign. seen a clean sticky trap in my bed before Before I started using that thing. Oh, I... Cool, cool. Well, so it's so the beta testing has worked out. I believe so, and yeah. I, was, I, this yeah. is the lights you're using, too. Yeah, those that's the Grandmaster. Uh, those are the Vul- Vulcan boards, and that's the first uh, board-style, quantum board-style LED that I had used. And I was worried about the, the tops of the wings heating up. I was like, you know, those are going to be... Yeah fry an egg on those things and they were running so much cooler than the the tops of the the chilled uh grow craft at 100 percent. those were like five or six degrees cooler so i was i was super impressed with how how cool it was running yeah they i, I was too when i saw that post i was like holy smokes i mean geez it just I, i'm okay i gotta admit i'm still running an old school hps uh a thousand watt de and it's like it's just hotter than hell, man. It's just hotter than oh, yeah. hell. <laughs> Great in the winter. Sucks it for is. I don't know. You're old enough. I, I've i got a, a scar on the back of my neck from a bare bulb, you know, standing up under a bare oh, bulb in the yeah. garden. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, sure, yep. I'm sure you got a couple oh, of nicks on there. And it's like the, the pain that these LED growers will never know. It's like, oh, you, yeah. You, no, can touch, you, can, uh, you can touch a bare bulb LED up 100% and like, that's not, that's not. <laughs> oh you're a man if you did that oh yeah i've, I've got yeah. some hair singed before you know where you get too close and you go what and, yeah, oh, yeah. oh my god but not the head now or the what's that burning smells like, oh shit it's me <laughs> yeah yeah they hot yeah. hot hot especially yeah. when you got them cranked up that i have the old school Gavita, not old school but people that hate the gavitas i i've just had it for so long and and it performs but but man when you got it cranked up it is hot so yeah, anyway, it's wild. Uh, and then I, I was looking, uh, it, <laughs> today you'd posted a, um, post about, uh, let's see here. Let me bring it up about these wine caps. You have wine caps popping in your bed. That's awesome. Oh man. That's, that's such a beautiful company. My Mycophyte solutions. Uh, the and that's part of the compost. They sell a product that's, uh, to inoculate wood, woody mulch specifically for woody mulch. It's, you know, it's in a bag of, uh, not quite sawdust, but kind of, you know, small woody material. That's, that's fully inoculated with the mm-hmm. wine cap spawn. And I just busted that, you know, crumbled that up throughout the bed. And, uh, that was before my last run, uh, that those wine. So those are buried. Now that layer is like six inches under, under the surface now. And I'm hoping that after this harvest, I'll start to get another flush after this harvest. 
Uh, but man, yeah, the, the, are you the, eating them? The mycophytes. I didn't eat any of the, they theoretically oh, okay. I could have their choice edible, like, but I they just are. wanted those to drop sport. Yeah. So I was like, I wanted those to stay in to try to uh, repopulate, mm-hmm. but I will definitely yeah. be eating the next round. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. That's yeah. great. No, I, I can yeah, just to eat them. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Heck yeah. 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 I mean, I don't grow a lot of them, but they are tasty and they, they work really great with cannabis. I mean, they, they grow in beds well and, and they're a great, uh, relationship with, with most plants. So good choice. Yeah. Um, and then I was going to ask you about, uh, um, you know, what do you mind talking about? Like the genetics you got going and what you got going on on the, the fire side of things there. Yeah. No, and they sure. got some good uh, genetics, don't runs, you? Like all new. Yeah. All new. So I, like I said, I grow from seed and kind of the, the one headache of growing from seed. And then <clears throat> I got 12, you know, I had started out with, you know, 12 different varietals from seed and that's all like 12 totally different plants. So I'm comfortable enough at this point that I can juggle a bunch of different needs, but that's another great thing about the, the living soil bed, instead of having, you know, eight different feeding schedules, feeding strengths to mix, you know, having to cater to eight individual plants they take what they need they dictate what they need to the soil and they all grow side by side no problem you know whereas if nice. they were in containers and you tried to feed them all the same mix of feed you'd have some that were hungry and some that were burnt and some that were fine so um <clears throat> growing a bunch of different stuff's always a risk growing from seeds always a risk uh i've been like just kind of burnt out on all of the new you know it's exhausting trying to keep track of all the new crosses and there's so many new flavors and strains and it's just overwhelming so i like i'm just trying to step back with this run and the next run also and like get back to the to the roots of it as like todd mccormick likes to call it like the pastels of cannabis you know the get back to our base so mm-hmm. uh white widow and a dosi doe durban poison oh, okay. cross are my two favorites right now oh, nice. <clears throat> old school chronic out of california the, for the white widow and it, it was, uh, it's a, it's a big plant. And I, I tried to prune it. I pruned it, I pruned it back and it just grew and grew and it took over, uh, pineapple, uh, pineapple train wreck is something that one of our good friends, uh, grows down the road and has had for years. It was one of those that we swapped for. And I always enjoy having it around. Uh, he had a fire and lost everything except for one cutting. And I was able to do some S one seeds. I grew it up big enough and, uh, self-pollinated it for some S1 seed stock. So I have one of those going and it's like, I felt so bad. I started that and the, uh, the Obama Kush from founding fathers too, right now, man, just, just big, chunky, hard, stinky purple nuggets looking really nice. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> but, uh, Obama Kush and the pineapple train wreck got started from seed way late. So I had a couple of males that I had thought were females and, uh, I had to kill, replace them anyway. So the pineapple train wreck, uh, just like this one sad little cola it was all that made it to the top trellis. Oh, no. it just got, like, the, the, the white widow and the dosy derb just swamped it. So it's like this one tiny, wow. I Thomas the trained, I think I can whatever <laughs> to the top. So it's like, I'll have like a joint of this pineapple train wreck out of the garden. And then the same thing with the Obama, it, it started so late and uh, it'll, it'll be nice. I'll, I'll get a couple ounces off of that one, but. Yeah, the pineapple train wreck got suffocated. Uh, the dosi herb was a, a dosi, double dosi dough and Durban poison cross from Savage Seeds uh, here in Oregon. Uh, I got to Savage. meet him last week. Super, super solid dude. Yeah, 
he's, he's a great guy, uh, passionate about the plant. And it's one of those breeders that has done, he's done the due diligence. He's done his work. You go and get something from him and it's going to be stellar. Uh, but up until like four days ago, beautiful, like gorgeous, beautiful flower, super dark green leaves and just like bright, bright, vivid, white popping pistols. It was like this gorgeous plant smelled super intense, like a very strong, powerful aroma. And it was like, you'd smell it and gag in the back of your throat and like flinch away from it. Just like this hot, nasty trash juice, like ham and asparagus, just, Oh, gross. But then you have to like immediately go back and smell it again. Like, ah, ah. And, uh, finally, like a few days ago, it was like totally different, like it mellowed out. And now it's like this, uh, like a spicy chocolate chip cookie dough with like this weird lemony vanilla orange, like real bright floral pop to it also. But I like, totally changed overnight into a whole different, different nose. And, uh, man, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic, I'm really looking forward to smoking that one. And then the uh, the Kim dog was just a cutting from the homie up the valley. I don't know exactly how legit or where it was sourced. So, uh, but it's looking it's looking really nice as well. Smelling smelling proper chemical spill. Yeah, the dosi derb, the dosi double dosi dough and Durban poison cross from Savage Seeds. I went through such a, a transformation. It was like it's it's always been a very intense, powerful nose, but it, it switched from like a, a rancid. Like where you go in and smell it and kind of flinch away because it's like gross, but you <laughs> need to smell it again to be sure. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, it's like it's like a wreck you can't look away from situation, <laughs> and then it kind of shifted into like this really. Now it's like a, a really spicy chocolate chip cookie dough. Oh wow! With like some citrus back, like oh, it smells really really nice. Then it, it, like some of the the Durban poison, the sweet that sweet Durban poison starting to leak through a little bit. So like super. Super excited about that one. Uh, the Durban Poison's like all time favorite. You know, it's a classic. So. It is if you can find it. Uh, I mean, like some, you know, you know how it is. It's so hard to find a, a real oh, yeah. genetic, if yeah. you will. Yeah. So it's it's a battle there. Um, you, do, yeah. No. So definitely, I've got a few that I'm really. It's I'm I'm really looking forward to, to harvest this time. It's gonna be a nice nice crop. Do Do you mind uh, talking about just quickly how how you care? Um, do you have a room for it, or do you do it in your tent, or do you? Cure out? No, I uh, have a room for it down in uh, in my basement. And like, fortunate enough here on the coast, it stays like sixty degrees on the right. year round in my basement. So I've got a nice, uh, I just you know, a ten by ten room. Nice. I'll, I try to hang intact as much as possible. So for one of the things about <clears throat> growing a plant horizontally in, in indoors in a bed. Whenever you hang it, it has a tendency to like reverse umbrella and everything will collapse in the center. Mm-hmm. So the, a big, like I like to hold, like I said, as intact as possible without creating those super dense pockets. So the white widow, I will probably have to separate into like five pieces to hang. Because if I, you know, it's, it's such a, a wide canopy that if I hung it by the base, it's just going to, it's going to all collapse mm-hmm. down into that, that little funnel. <clears throat> so uh, I'll do 14 days uh at 60 degrees and 60 relative humidity that's what that's what i shoot for is a 14 day hang dry as intact of a plant as possible Mm -hmm. Uh, and i I leave probably more leaves than a lot of people would leave on um i i i'm trying to slow down the process as much as possible i think that's like what honestly the reason i won the cup was probably because you know i'm not i'm not i didn't grow necessarily the auto better or anything else but 
I'm so particular about having a very slow drying process. <clears throat> and then the, you know, the first, you know, the first 72 hours are hypercritical as far as uh, light in the room, because as you know, as you know, the, the, there's still a lot of cell activity. Uh, the cells are still alive. You cut the plant. There's still a lot of uh, life in the plant and you're exposing it okay. to light. It's going to continue those biological functions. So especially for the first 72 hours, if you keep it in a, as dark, absolute dark of a place as possible. And, um, and you can even run the dehum at, you know, 50% for that first couple of days to get that initial layer of moisture off. It's just people are, you know, I want to see people taking samples and smoking at five days. It's like that plant should not be anywhere no. close to being ready, you know? And then you're, you, people dry too fast and you take months growing this plant and you pour your heart and soul into it. And then you, you dry it too quick and you're left with like, Hey, and you're like, yeah, can I throw a Bavita? And you know, people are going to throw a Bavita in a jar and cure everything's going to be fine. It's like, <laughs> nope. You got to slow it down. You got you to slow it down. So it's yeah. like a week, like a, after a week of hang drying, I like to start seeing the bigger fan leaves, like still a little bit of plasticity, but a little bit of dry. So like seven days, I'm still like very, very soft flowers, you know, like that halfway point. I'm not, I, I don't yeah. know how anyone would smoke it at that point. I, but, I was going to say, you're um, probably trying to hit like 14 days, aren't you? Just to get it. 14, 14 days is my, my minimum. I go for Oh, okay. Wow. Like I'll, I'll, I'll let it hang. I'll let it hang at 60 and 60 for 14 days, mm -hmm. like no matter what. Okay. And if some of the smaller flowers are dry by then, uh, it doesn't hurt at all to hang in that, you know, you, you could hang for months at 60, 60. If oh, you okay. To, Interesting. With, all right. Without serious repercussion, you know, it's going to stay reasonable. If you keep it dark, it'll be, it'll be usable flower. It's not going to destroy okay. it. 50% hmm. uh, if you're doing like, you know, there's 70, 70 degrees uh, and lower humidity, it's going to, you're going to wreck your flower. So that's why I stay at 60, 60, because you can go over by a week and it's not, not going to have any uh, negative impact on your harvest on, on the quality of the harvest. So at 14 days, I won't check. I won't even check for four until like 14 days. I'll start doing, uh, bending some stems, seeing what the, the larger flowers look like and then, and go from there. Um, and then I'll, and then when I trim, I do leave a lot of a leaf structure on there. I don't do a super clean, uh, tight trim for myself when I'm doing a store, when I'm going for cure, I think that that extra layer of protection, uh, goes a long way. And, and I, I like to see that whenever I'm looking at like what I consider like a really high grade top shelf flower will be in a jar at least 90 days cured. So it's at the end of the drying process, then you start talking when you get it in a container, that's when you're curing it. So mm -hmm. I, it's got a 10 day cure. It's like, no, you, you dried it for seven days and put it in a bag. It's like, there's no cure. It's not cured. It's not even dry. You know? So it's like, let's be clear. It's like after the plant is dried, bucked off and jarred up, that's when you're going to start the curing process. So for me, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to sample that flower until 90 days after it's been properly dried. And then you, and then you look at it in the jar and it's still going to need to be trimmed and manicured before you smoke it. So that's, I, I think that, and I and I'm glad to see that's coming back in a big way. Some of the, like the super high end, you know, uh, flowers, the flower that are out there and you come in a like wax sealed Mason jar. That's, that's rough trimmed. And it's like, that's it. That's, that's what I want right there. And, uh, the super tight rock hard PGR nugs and a, and a little Mylar bag. It's like, man, that's, 
fuck, that's that's out. That's out. You know, that's that's gone. Let's 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 evolve. Let's let's evolve this industry. And uh, but it's cool. It's like I saw a video. I have not got to go. I'm going to make a trip uh, to uh, the Loud L O W D up in Portland. But I saw they have a a cure room where it looks like they they do it they do it right. You know, they uh, oh, cool. uh, jar up per order, and they have a uh, basically like a big walk-in cure room and they keep it at 60, 60 and you, you see the flower on display, decide what you want. And they go back in the, oh, wow. in the area where it's properly secured and kept and, and jar it up for you there. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, man, that's another thing. Like, I know a few guys, uh, a few farms and they do, they do beautiful work and they have a great product. You know, they get to, they get everything dried and bagged up. It's like, man, it's just this nice uh, texture, aromatic, beautiful flower you bust it up it's like breaks up real nice and then you go to the dispensary and see it and it's been in a gallon pickle jar and you know they shake and shake and shake a hundred times a day and it's dry yeah. and it's like oh. it feels so bad for all that all that work and, and going down the drain right there ruined at the dispensary so uh you know it's it's there's plenty of farms out there pumping out the uh, as much as they can and not concerned about quality and then there's people that are just like putting their heart and soul into it and like having their product stepped on at the end of the, at the end of the road. So there's uh there's definitely places that are doing it right. And I think the, uh, you put the effort in and look for it. If you can't grow it yourself and you're going to be at the dispensary, it's, it's, it's our responsibility as customers to research those businesses we're buying from because they're salesmen trying to get us to buy something at the end of the day. Uh, they got numbers to push and they're going to try to sell us what they need to sell us instead of what, you know, what company that needs to be supported or should be supported, I think. So uh, I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned this cure and everything and doing it right. Uh, I've noticed a lot of these damn retail level farms, basically, uh, even putting out, quote unquote, top shelf with um, freeze drying. So. Yeah. That's the cure. Yeah. What do you feel about freeze drying? Yeah. <laughs> I I haven't I haven't got to try any flour. I haven't tried any freeze dried flowers. Have you? Have you? Yeah, tried I mean, it? I I'm not going to use names because I, I, I out of fear of them not liking it. But I've had some pretty big Oregon well known farms that freeze dry, and yeah, I've had it, and um, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely. Yeah, it's not that it's bad. It's just that they can they quote they quote what they told me is that they could cure it in twenty four hours. So you put it in a freeze dryer, wet twenty four hours later, pull it out, and it's like a cured bud. And I've had it, and it was uh, it was a great farm and good genetics. So I mean, it was good weed, but it had more of a different texture to it, like uh, almost like you know how food gets with freeze drying. It's got that powdery kind yeah. of a. Um, yeah. just a different texture versus huh. dehydrating something not dehydrating but you know air drying something um so the texture was a little bit different but man it looked good still smelled good and everything i just don't know like there's a lot of people doing it that people don't realize they are in oregon so, oh yeah i thought it would be a great uh, technology to be able to do like a sample you know you could like try to yeah. dial in really when you want to harvest or something you can pop a, a small flower every day for three days in a row and be able to sample it within 24 hours. I think that that, that application would be pretty huge, you know, be able to do a very quick sample to, to see, but as far as, as far as uh, 
finished product to to put on the market. Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't I haven't sampled it, but I just short like I said, it's like why why take a shortcut at at that point on your work? You know, the most critical time, uh, and then you're right. going to try to try to check that out. It's just, I think a lot of that is just the um, the time period between actually getting it harvested and cured and to the shelf and then have it sold off the shelf. I mean, I still see dates out there in some of these dispensaries that are nine months old on the weed, you yeah. know, and it's like, yeah. you know, I don't care how good it is. I mean, once it goes through all those hands and all the shipping and packaging and shelf, like you said, and jars and shit, nine months down the road, it's not good anymore. Yeah. Not like it yeah. was anyway. And so uh, I think a lot of that freeze drying is just an effort to get it, get their money and get it to the shelf as quick as possible, <laughs> which sucks. But anyway, well, no, that's the uh, game they got. That's the game you got to play. It's like to compete in the market. And realistically, as a, a large business, you, you're going to have to start making compromises on your ethics and morals if you're going <laughs> to compete with those guys that don't have any. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like they don't care, <laughs> right? Yeah. So are you finding your seat in the cannabis world in the OMMP side? Are you finding your seat real well there? I mean, are you comfortable where you're at? Yeah, I think I, I like once I accepted the fact that probably my my opportunity for having a large, large scale grow to profit from had that once I had accepted that had moved on. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am, and especially now it looks like I'll have uh, some opportunities to stay involved actively in the community and, and hopefully spread some knowledge and help some people find a, find a path to, you know, sustainable organic production and, and be able to grow super high quality for themselves. And that's what it's always been about is making sure that I just like, like my love language is, is cannabis. Like I ask all, all my friends, I, you know, edibles and flowers and topicals and stuff. I, I like, I like to see people that have maybe never experienced really, what good cannabis is it's like if you've only been to the dispensary and bought the $3 grams and that's all you've ever been exposed to like seeing somebody open a jar of like good, good cannabis and like the transformation they go through. That's what it's all about. And I was hoping to be able to have a farm and be able to sell that large scale to people here in Oregon. But instead now it looks like I'll be able to just work with individuals so they can do that for mm. themselves instead of me selling you my flowers like well let's just let's cut cut the middleman out and let's set you yeah. up for successful harvests where you don't have to depend on someone else to to grow a really a really good product and you can experience that uh at, at home by yourself for yourself and then the satisfaction that comes along with that i think especially if you know men mental health physical health uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of like like we're saying like a lot of white papers coming out about the actual medical benefits of cannabinoids themselves but then let's talk about also just gardening and and, and like creating this thing nurturing it keeping it healthy and harvesting it and having that whole life cycle that you get to be involved in and then you're consuming a flower that you grew it's like the satisfaction and reward from that by itself is huge and seeing people that are struggling with maybe mental health issues and uh other aspects of their life that they don't have control of this is like an awesome uh, an awesome outlet and it's something that you are you know in control of it's you, you you have kids they don't talk back the plants just sit there you water them it's like something you know you can interact with it on any level you want to and then you have uh, yeah. this whole process you go to and i think that, that that's that's big uh so yeah so just being comfortable and, and where i'm at where i'm at now and 
appreciating the opportunities that have started to present themselves and like stop, you know, stop being, you know, grass is greener on the all, always greener on the other side situation. I'm, I'm really trying to step back and, and see like the opportunities that I have now. It's like, sure, it's not what I thought it was going to be five years ago, but I think it's so much better. Like I could, I can imagine if we had got our license, you know, two years ago, we would be probably, you know, day to day worried about not being able to make sales to keep the lights on, and, you know, and mm-hmm. I avoided that and, you know, take the good of the bad. So it's silver lining. I I'm make the best of the situation I'm in now. And like I said, uh, you know, big thank you to uh, the amazing Dr. Symes. They, like I said, they recognized, I think, my passion and, and commitment to the plant and the process and are going to uh, you know, take the, you know, take the risk to, to, to put this program out there. And I think that we'll be able to reach a lot of people and, and do a lot of good with it. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, Lane Forest Products down in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on uh, working on a little project with them for uh, auto flower specific soil. So we've got a few things going on. And, nice. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm super super happy, and I'm just going to be yeah be content and uh, grateful for what I do have, and make the make the most of the situation I'm in. You know, you talking about. Uh, the bringing the soil up for made for autos um Mm -hmm. that reminds me of a question i did want to present to you real quick i hope you don't mind circling back but uh on autos what because their life is so short and everything nutrient wise i mean are like i've heard people saying you know especially people that use bottled newts and stuff that they're hitting bloom newts uh right from the beginning i mean what's your feeling on the nutrients and what you should do with with autos like especially with the organics like how do you do that they're super light feeders like they're they're and that's so a, i would say a limiting factor of the living soil is how quickly uh the uh, available nutrients can become available to the plant so like i said when a plant's communicating through exudates and dictating what it wants from an organic soil that takes time as opposed to synthetic nutrients where you're on a schedule and basically force feeding it. So I would say the synthetic nutrients, uh, specifically soilless media growers with high, with the auto flowers are able to have many more feeding events in that, that short veg window. So you're able to feed as much more and get a bigger plant because you're able to feed it more often. So mm-hmm. they're not in a, in a, in a, organic soil living soil they're not heavy feeders unless you are force feeding them by themselves and i think uh, that's why and my plants tend to be on the smaller side uh in containers and organic soil and like i said they have that very limited window of veg growth Mm. and um if you are going to start feeding it so i i haven't bottle fed enough autos to be able to opinionate, to yeah, give an opinion okay, on that okay. flower. It makes sense from the fact that you're not, you don't want to push nitrogen. No, you know, maybe after, you know, after the seedlings 10 days old, you could give it like one or two very light veg feedings, but it would make sense to, to be in transition nutrients or flower uh, nutrient profile from a very early age for sure. sure. But as far as from the very beginning, uh, it needs some nitrogen, but what's available in whatever soil may be plenty. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're growing in a hot soil, you don't, you don't need to give it the additional nitrogen for the, the flowering nutrients is what my understanding from that situation would be. Okay. Uh, it's going to have plenty of nitrogen available for the first 
two weeks when it's really drawn on it. Cool. Cool. Thank you for that. I, and I got one last question for you and, and, uh, I obviously you got a lot going on, but with all the skills that you have and the, the level of uh, passion you have for cannabis, have you ever thought about breeding at all? I mean, seriously, yeah. doing some breeding projects that you could actually release to the public. There's a couple of things like <laughs> I have, I have <laughs> some stuff that I've been working on for a few years, but it's like, I haven't spent enough time stabilizing these things mm. in my yeah, mind to work. release. And I see, and I see all these other guys. So I was like, yeah, I could, I've got like 10, 10 lines I could start selling tomorrow. Uh, but it's like with the knowledge that they're, you know, some F2s, F1s, S1s and stuff. So with the launch of the website, I'm going to start offering. Uh, so the Aloha Berry uh, seems to be a very true breeding S1. I've had a lot of good success with the Aloha Berry, the Pineapple Trainwreck, um, and a few other ones that I have uh, just pers- for my you know, personal uh, my personal enjoyment, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll, I'll offer a few of those you know, with the, with the knowledge that they are uh, an F1 or an S1 seed, which people don't seem to mind at all. That's why I was like, uh, I did. I, mm-hmm. So this spring I'm going to be doing uh, an open pollination. I've got uh, uh, Cabeza de Negra from Northeast Brazil. It's a land race varietal from Northeast Brazil and uh, something from the uh, Northern India, um, the Waichin Valley. So in the, I mentioned earlier, you know, you hear Todd Mc- Todd McCormick at uh, Ag Seed talk about the pastels of cannabis. So you, you know, you like White Widow, Durban Poison, Northern Lights Number Five, and a few of these that you can basically trace the majority of our strains today back to a handful, yeah. right? So those handful, mm-hmm. those handful of originating you know, varietals were what they were uh, land race crosses. So that's what I'm, I'm my next project. I mentioned, you know, the genetics are so diluted and it's so crazy now. I'm, I'm going to take a big step back. So I'm going to take these two uh, land race varietals and start from scratch and take three years and try to work for, I'm going to try to end up with four uh, true breeding, very distinct lines from that. And not to say that I'm trying to recreate white widow or Northern lights and stuff, but that's where these, that's where these strains came from is those worked lines. So I'm going to take a step back and especially now all the uh, patenting, uh, you know, all the legalization and stuff that's coming around. Mm-hmm. I would like to have something that I have taken from its origin. So I, there's no, you know, you can't go back and buy the rights to white widow. And then all of a sudden you right. own every strain that's on the market now. It's like, well, so right. what can I do to separate myself from the crowd and offer something that is truly unique? And, you know, I, I, I would like, and I do plan on that, but at this point, like I said, because of my, personal standards. I don't feel comfortable doing that because I, you know, I could probably have made a few thousand bucks selling seeds this last year, but you know, if they're having bad success or I'm marketing it as like the super stable line, my, my name and reputation is worth more than that quick buck. So I do want to be able to offer some stuff, but I want to make sure that it's up to my standards of quality before, mm-hmm. before I put my name on it, put it out there. So hopefully, you know, like I said, within three years, I'll have something that is like, totally distinct unique and can't be traced back to any other uh you know any anything that's out there now so that's that's kind of my goal so i mean that's awesome uh, and you, you're becoming i mean you i mean 
you probably already realize it, but you're becoming quite the influencer, you know, in Oregon, uh, especially in the cannabis world. Um, I, I looked at the people that follow you and there's a lot of, you know, well-known good people following you from Oregon. And so, I mean, you know, keep it up, man. It's, it's good to see the, the positivity and the good stuff come out of the, the, you know, the, the popular places. Um, so I appreciate that, man. It was, it was good talking to you. So why don't you go ahead and tag yourself, uh, where we can find you. Uh, I know you got your Instagram, your website. Why don't you tell people about that and I'll, uh, I'll share it as you go. Yeah. Flora farm. Uh, lucky enough, I've got it across the board, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and, uh, the, the com as of now. So I'm going to be trying to use my website florofarm.com as the hub jumping off point as you will um i think that um, the amazing dr zymes is going to take that over for me and uh, and run the marketing on this uh, so hopefully by uh well with, within a month we'll start to have some dates of uh, our first module release so i think we're gonna shoot for a uh, 10 module releases online followed by that being released in its entirety and this is just the the generic stuff. I said I, I like I built this on the side of the road yesterday. This is just the the stuff that didn't change, yeah. But yeah, so so the uh, the the uh, the online learning program will be released in ten parts, and then we'll follow that up with a a book that kind of encompasses that and some shenanigans and tall tales from the prohibition days as well. Uh, I know, like I said, when we started, you're busy, uh, obviously, and I just appreciate you taking the time and uh, so do all the Oregon listeners, man. We appreciate yeah, it. No, absolutely. And just throwing it out there. I don't know if uh, you're going to be able to make it up here April 22nd. We got our earth day party going down. Should be some uh, good flower, good growers, good food, good music. Make it up. Is come, that the, your area or you guys? City. It's in Lincoln city. Just uh, here at our house. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, absolutely. You said April 22nd. Yep. Earth day party. It's our second one. We did it last year and had a really great time. So, I've been wanting to do a coast trip, so this might be a perfect time to go, man. There you go, man. Mark it down. Anybody out there, too, drop me a DM. Uh, everyone, Everyone's welcome. Family friendly. We'll have music and food. It's going to be a good time. Awesome. All right. So April 22nd, Earth Day, Lincoln City. DM me if they want to attend, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Okay. Absolutely. Well, that's it, brother. Again, thank you. And uh, keep up the good work. And uh, I, I will continue to follow you, and I'll check in and see how you're doing. And, uh, again, I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.